um, today, Power of the Church and Church Discipline. What? Oh, more handouts. Who needs an outline now? Anybody you don't have an outline? Hold up your hand. Okay, you can keep your hand in the air and, and uh, cry it or Daryl will get one to you. Power of the Church is the God-given authority of the church to carry on spiritual warfare, proclaim the gospel, and exercise church discipline. We will have probably get to the first two of those points this morning, and then the church discipline one um, deal with next uh, two weeks from now. First, uh, carry on spiritual warfare. Now, here's the thing. You look around the world, you kind of watch TV, you read the newspapers, you read internet news, and you say, there's a lot of power in this world. There's the military power of the United States, and what about the power of terrorist regimes? What about the power of North Korea or China or Russia? There's a lot of military power affecting the course of the world. Or there's power in political organizations, Democratic Party, Republican Party, ACLU, um, and there's economic power, isn't there? there? There are millionaires and billionaires in the world who have all sorts of money to spend to affect the course of world events, and there's the power of the media, tremendous power to influence human opinion and shape opinions. And it's easy for us to slip into a kind of a secular mindset that thinks that's what makes the world work. The only thing that influences the course of the world is missiles and tanks and bombers and soldiers and exchange rates and stock market ups and downs and advertising by big companies and meat. That's all, that, that's all. Those are the things that really influence the world. That's easy for us to think that, isn't it? And to slip back into thinking, What's the church got to do with all that? Does church have any power at all? Does church have any influence on the course of the world? Well, when we come to the New Testament, we find out that there is a lot of power that the church has. But it's spiritual power. And that spiritual power works often in an invisible, behind-the-scenes way through which God influences the course of history far, far more than the world realizes. And so Paul says, 2 Corinthians 10, 3-4, Though we walk in the flesh, we're not waging war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. Do we believe that? Do, believe, do we believe that we, in using the spiritual weapons that God gives us, have power to influence the world, the course of events in the world? So the church's weapons are not machine guns and tanks and fighter planes and missiles, but the church's weapons are prayer and worship that pleases the heart of God. Scripture, which changes people's heart, breaks through, the Word of God breaks through people's deadness of heart and changes hearts. Faith in prayer that God answers and honors. 
righteous and holy lives. Jamie just preached a whole sermon about that this morning, about keeping our conduct honorable before the Gentiles, spiritually, the unbelievers. And so when they see your good deeds, they may glorify God in the day of visitation. There's godly lives. Our weapons of change in the world and authority over demonic forces that are talked about a number of times in the New Testament. Well, these are our weapons. They're invisible, aren't they? They're invisible, but they're real. And so what I want to emphasize this morning, starting out, when we talk about the power of the church, is recognize what kind of power this is. Paul explains this more in Ephesians 6. Be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God. So he's starting to talk like he's arming soldiers for battle. But then when he goes to the little elements that soldiers would have in their armor, watch what he does with them. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. So Paul is saying, when you watch, I mean, I'm applying here. Paul isn't talking about TV, but I'm going to say when you watch the TV news. Okay, the, the word of God will be saying to us, when you watch the TV news, realize that there are invisible spiritual forces at play impacting the things you see on TV news every day. Russia invading Georgia. I think there were demonic forces of, of murder and aggression and greed influencing that action? Yeah, I think so. Paul's saying there are rulers, authorities, cosmic powers over this present darkness, the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Now I'm going to talk about later that I think there's a role for civil government and there's a role for having strong defense and things like that. But I'm going to say that's not what the church does. But the church has a weapon that is, in fact, going to be more powerful, and it's spiritual weapons. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand firm. Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and the shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Spiritual sword. Spiritual power. Praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. To this end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. Alan says, we haven't accomplished anything but by God's grace and by prayer and by faith. And I tell you, I saw that with those lawyers in Rome. Deeply, deeply committed Christians, men and women of faith, with strong legal training, but depending on the Lord for what they're doing. Well, someone might say, okay, truth, righteousness, peace, faith, salvation, word of God. Come on, Wayne. What good's all that going to do? How can it make any change in the world? Well, I think we see some examples in the book of Acts to stir up our hearts and give us faith that actually these weapons do have results. And these are kind of dramatic examples, but um, 
Now we're going to ask in a few minutes, well, do we have to, do, should we think the same way today? Here's one. Peter was kept in prison, but earnest prayer for him was made to God by the church. Do you see the spiritual weapon in that verse? What is it? Prayer. All right, here's the spiritual weapon coming into play. Earnest prayer being made to God by the church. Now, when Herod was about to bring Peter out, that very night Peter was sleeping between two soldiers bound with two chains and sentries before the door were guarding the prison. No way he can get out. Chained to two soldiers. Got more soldiers before the door. This is the Roman Empire. This is controlling the whole world at that time. And they've got all the military power, and the, they've got a monopoly on the military power in the world, and they got Peter in prison. No hope, right? And behold, an angel of the Lord stood next to him, and a light shone in the cell. He struck Peter on the side and woke him, saying, Get up quickly, and the chains fell off his hands. And then the story goes on where the, the sentries are sound asleep, and Peter starts to walk out, and the doors open as he's walking out. There's power of the Lord in answer to the spiritual weapon of prayer. Another example. This is in the same context. We're going to back up a few verses. About that time, Herod the king laid violent hands on some who belonged to the church. He killed James, the brother of John, with the sword. And when he saw that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded to arrest Peter also. So this is back a few verses. And then verse 5, I mentioned that there was earnest prayer made on behalf of the church for Peter. What were they praying? Lord, please release Peter from prison. Please, Probably they were praying, please change Herod's heart. Please change his heart and give him a change of mind so he'll release Peter. Now, it doesn't say what else they prayed. But I'll tell you, if I was there, another thing I would have prayed is, Lord, if you won't change Herod's heart, please remove him from power. Okay? And put somebody in who's not going to persecute the church so much. And watch what happens a few verses later. Now, Herod was angry with the people of Tyre and Sidon. And they came to him with one accord. On an appointed day, Herod put on his royal robes, took his seat upon the throne, and delivered an oration to them. And the people were shouting, the voice of a god and not of a man. Immediately, an angel of the Lord struck him down because he did not give God the glory, and he was eaten by worms and breathed his last. Next verse. The book of Acts reminds us of the spiritual power going on. But the word of the Lord, or the word of God, increased and multiplied. The Jewish historian Josephus has a longer account of the agonies that Herod suffered uh, as it took him uh, two or three days. I don't remember exactly. I've read it, but I don't remember. Uh, as it took him that time to die. And talks about Herod had this, cha- this coat with gold on it, and the sun struck it, and the people were so amazed, and they start praising him. And the angel of the Lord smote him or struck him, and he died. There's spiritual power over the forces that would oppose the church. I have a friend who's a missionary in Uganda, a doctor, a medical missionary, and uh, there, were, there was civil unrest rioting in Uganda, and these rebel troops were coming, flowing through the country, and Chris, the missionary, was inside a little uh, chained kind of compound where they had a house and a car. And a car was really essential for his medical work there in Uganda, and this guy came up with a gun and said, open the gate and give me your car. And Chris said, no, I won't. They're standing right across the gate from each other. The guy said, open the gate or I'm going to shoot you. Chris said, I'm sorry, I won't. And the guy went to reach for his gun, and his arm was frozen, and he couldn't bring it up. And he he was terrified, and he ran away. 
Same kind of thing happening, isn't it? It's the Lord intervening and overcoming the, the power of the world. Another one. Paul and Barnabas go to Cyprus. They start preaching the gospel. And uh, some of the leading people in Cyprus begin to come to faith. But uh, Elamus the magician, for that's the meaning of his name, opposed them, seeking to turn the proconsul away from the faith. The proconsul was giving heed to what was said by Paul and Barnabas. <clears throat> but this guy's standing in the way. He's a, a pagan magician. But Saul, who was also called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked intently at him and said, You son of the devil, you enemy of all righteousness, full of all deceit and villainy, will you not stop making crooked the straight paths of the Lord? And now behold, the hand of the Lord is upon you, and you will be blind and unable to see the sun for a time. Immediately mist and darkness fell upon him. And he went about seeking people to lead him by the hand. Spiritual power to overcome opposition to the gospel. Hmm. Not, not guns, machine guns and tanks and fighter planes, but it's spiritual power that leads even to silencing the enemies of the gospel. This is power to break through sin and hardened opposition and also to awaken faith in the hearts of unbelievers. Here's another, another example. Um, this is in Philipp is it in Thessalonica or Philippi? I think it's Philippi. We were going to the place of prayer where we met by a slave girl who had a spirit of divination and brought her owners much gain from fortune-telling, Acts 16, 16 to 18. Since this is on a tape, I want to be sure I'm right. Philippi. She followed Paul and us, crying out, These men are servants of the Most High God who proclaim to you the way of salvation. Well, that sounds like a good advertisement, right? Servants of the Most High God who proclaim to you the way of salvation. And this she kept doing for many days. However, I think that maybe there was something really annoying and irritating about the way she was saying it, and Paul didn't want that. But there was also, she was a, a, a soothsaying or fortune-telling girl who had evil spirits by which she was kind of telling secrets in people's lives. And Paul certainly didn't want to be identified with that pagan religion. And so, even though she was saying something that kind of had a formal truth to it, it was wrongly connecting Paul with an obnoxious false religion. And so, Paul, having become greatly annoyed, turned and said to the spirit, there's an evil spirit that's in her, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And came out that very hour. Well, that led to trouble because she had owners who, she was a slave girl, she had owners who were making money from her soothsaying or fortune-telling, and they got upset. But the gospel goes forward. There's power to overcome opposition to the gospel. Very interesting, very interesting. And I'm going to ask in a few minutes, does that kind of thing happen today? So just, of course, in Uganda, but not, well, just wait a minute. Okay. 
And then there's positive spiritual power. John, I wonder if we should just turn down the volume. Have I got a little bit of feedback or Trent? Thanks. Um, there's positive spiritual power to bring people to faith. And so Acts 16:14, one who heard us preaching was named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple goods, who was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to give to pay attention to what was said by Paul. So here is not just power to bring blindness to somebody or cast out a demon, but here's a positive power to open someone's heart. They're, they're dead in trespass and sin. They're blind. They're in darkness. They're in the kingdom of, of, of the enemy. And all of a sudden, the Lord, in the power of the word, breaks through, and she comes to faith. She gives heed to the gospel. Oh, First Peter talks about that. First Peter talks about that. First Peter one twenty three. Since you've been born again, not of perishable seed, but of, perish, of imperishable, through the living and abiding Word of God. That's why I could say the Word of God has power. It's a weapon. It's a spiritual weapon because it breaks through people's hardness of heart. It has power that no other book in the world does. Positive spiritual power. Um, <clears throat> Can this power be used not only outside the church against these opponents who are trying to turn people away from the faith, but can it be used within the church to bring spiritual discipline to those who repeatedly and unrepentantly cause trouble? Huh. Well, think about Ananias and Sapphira. They lied about how much they got for the purchase of the, or for the sale of the property, and... Um, and Peter said, you've not lied to men but to God, and Ananias falls down dead, and Sapphira falls down dead. There's discipline within the church, and great fear comes upon believers. Paul was having trouble with the church at Corinth. There was all sorts of disobedience to God going on there. There was incest, there were Christians bringing reproach on the gospel by just running off to court and suing each other in reckless ways. Uh, there were people abusing the Lord's Supper and not taking thought and care for others. There were all sorts of sin. And when Paul tried to straighten it out, they were resisting his authority. And so Paul says, watch out. Some are arrogant, 1 Corinthians 4.18, as though I were not coming to you, but I will come to you soon, if the Lord wills, and I will find out not the talk of these arrogant people, but their power. For the kingdom of God does not consist in talk, but in power. What does Paul mean? He's going to challenge them to a wrestling match? See how tough you are? There's some kind of spiritual power. This is the same guy who said, darkness is going to fall upon you for a time, and all of a sudden Elamis couldn't see. You want to get in an argument with him? <laughs> I don't think so. 2 Corinthians 13.10, For this reason I write these things while I'm away from you, so that when I come I may not have to be severe in the use of the authority that the Lord has given me for building up and for, not for tearing down. Paul says, I don't want to be severe with you, but if I come, watch out if you're being rebellious and disobedient. Here again, 2 Corinthians 13.1-4. This is the third time I'm coming to you. And then he says, I warned those who sinned before and all the others, and I warned them now, while absent, as I did when present on my second visit, that if I come, I will not spare them. Since you seek proof that Christ is speaking in me, he's not weak in dealing with you, but is powerful among you. For he was crucified in weakness, but lives by the power of God. For we also are weak in him. Physically, maybe Paul had afflictions. He was weak. Outwardly, perhaps he wasn't very eloquent. 
but in dealing with you, we will live with him by the power of God. Question. Does the church today have the same power in spiritual warfare? Scottsdale Bible Church today. Other churches today. Some say no. Oh, there's a difference, you know, this is, these are the apostles and they are different from the early Christians. And Paul doesn't specifically instruct leaders at Corinth or even Timothy or Titus to exercise this kind of spiritual power. But I'm not really persuaded by that argument. It's kind of an argument from silence. And they may have been exercising such power, but he just didn't have opportunity to mention it. But some say yes, and I tend to mostly agree with the yes answer to this. Paul instructed the Corinthian church to exercise church discipline in 1 Corinthians 5, 3 to 5, he said, well, I'm not with you, but um, this is having to do with someone who is living in incest. Though I'm absent in body, I'm present in spirit. And is, as if present, I've already pronounced judgment on the one who did such a thing. When you are assembled in the name of the Lord Jesus, and my spirit is present with the power of our Lord Jesus, you are to deliver this man to Satan. I think that means kick him out of the fellowship of the church. So he's out in the world. Deliver this man to Satan for the destruction of the flesh so that his spirit may be saved on the day of the Lord. There's kind of a discipline so that he may repent and, and, uh, and be saved on the day of the Lord. And Ephesians 6.10, the whole armor of God, and 2 Corinthians 10.3 and 4, though we live in the flesh, in the world, we're not, our weapons of our warfare are not according to the flesh. We have divine power to destroy strongholds. They seem to be applied to Christians in general. And I'll tell you, as I was getting this lesson ready, even last night, I can think of two, I, I thought of two instances that I've heard of within the last week where there was someone in the church, I don't mean Scottsdale Bible Church, I mean someone in the church in the United States, actually, who was persistently and repeatedly causing trouble for the church. And all of a sudden, there was a kind of judgment that came. Now, here's the thing. It's really risky to start to name names, and I'm not going to do that. And to sort of say, well, I see that, and I know it's God's judgment, because the ways of God are mysterious, and sometimes believers suffer, like Job, and sometimes unbelievers prosper, and the psalmist talks about that, about why do the wicked prosper. And so we can't always be sure, but there are time and again, I have looked at a situation and I've said, whoa, look what's happening. I've seen situations of professors in theological seminaries where they've, been, they've begun to publish things that are really wrong doctrine, false, harming the church. And then all of a sudden, they're removed. They lose their job. They fall into scandal. Or, or physically, something disabled. I'm thinking of two right now very tragic situations, health situations. Just immediately they're removed from the position of influence that they had. I see you're nodding your head, and I'm not going to ask you for an example, but another case. Hmm? You've seen many of them, yeah. Church I know about in another state was a wonderful, godly pastor there preaching the word. The church was growing, but there was a there was a man a, a man of some influence in the church. He'd been quite senior in the leadership of the church, 
and he was just a thorn in the pastor's side. And every time the pastor had a new idea, he wanted to move the church forward, reaching out in evangelism or a new Bible study prayer, always objection, always complaining, always harmful in terms of the fellowship of the church. Finally, that pastor left, went to another church, and, and a, a year later or so, I heard that that man, in the middle of his life, had a very serious heart attack, and I saw him, actually, a few weeks after that, and he was just a shadow of his former self. I didn't say a word. But in my mind, I thought, hmm, I think, and I, I might say it to Margaret in the privacy of our own home, but I'm not going to say it to anybody else, because I, I'm not sure, but it sure looks to me like God brought discipline against him. So, yes, I think that there is good, that I think that this book is given to us to show us how to act, to show us how to believe, to stir up our faith, to give us patterns. And so I think the, the payoff for this, the, the result of this, is be faithful in prayer. I, 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 I pray for world events as well as for things in our church. There's been a little Supreme Court of the United States entry in my prayer notebook for years with names. And you're not going to see it. <laughs> but I'm praying because there's, there's spiritual warfare. We visited the Supreme Court one time. Margaret and I are three sons. We went to Washington, D.C. Got up way early in the morning, so we'd stand in line, and you get to go in for five or ten minutes, just a little bit, and you listen to the Supreme Court in session, and I'm sitting there, I'm silently praying, praying, praying. Spiritual warfare. Spiritual, it's using the... It's prayer and the word of God and faith and godly life. And see, those are the power of the church. And believe me, I'll tell you, when we get to heaven, we're going to look back and you are going to be amazed at how many events change in your neighborhood, in your extended family, in your home fellowship group, in your church, in your community, in your state, in your nation, in the world, because you were praying because you're believing God's word. You like that? Oh man, I went over, I went over. But look, we got next week, and we got next week. We don't ever, I mean, we don't have to run it. What's that? Keys of the kingdom, we'll come to that next. And I didn't get a chance to do any interaction, but you got time to ask Alan some questions, and so we got some interaction today. Usually, those of you who are visitors, I like to take about 10 minutes at the end for interaction about what we've talked about, and we. Ran a little short of time. Let's let's. Oh yeah, and we usually close with a hymn. So let's let's do that. Lord Jesus, we thank you for building your church. Thank you for putting us in your church. We thank you for the power, the invisible power, the spiritual power, the weapons of righteousness for the right hand and the left with which you equip us. Lord, this week increase our faith. Teach us even more how to use these weapons effectively to bring others to know you and to silence and stop those who would stand against the gospel. Amen. See you next week.